and we're sound. Welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Living Word Bible Church, teaching the Bible verse by verse. Read that to us and then we'll continue after that. Thanks, Nikki. Be careful not to practice. Oh, do I need a mic? There is no mic. Oh, here. Got one. Okay. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Hello. Hey, Nikki, thank you for that. Bless you. I'm just going to make some space for myself. Am I okay about here, Matt? And everything's working good? Okay. If not, just one second. If you're watching this live, just give us a moment. Just tell me when I can go ahead, Matt. Okay. Are we good? Okay. All right. Hey, how are you guys doing? I feel like I feel like I've been away. Ages. I had a couple of weeks. I was away week before last, and then last week. And so, hey, are you aware we finished Jonah? Yeah, you know we finished Jonah. And so we're going to do the Lord's prayer. It's just a stopgap before we start some other in-depth series. And so over the next few weeks, I just want us to look afresh at Jesus' prayer. 
And look, I know we all know, we can virtually say it off by heart, and we probably have and probably do, but it's, it's look, it's pregnant. I mean, it's flowing with growing life, and there's so much there. So let's just look. Do you mind, can I have some more sound? I'm just struggling here. Thank you. Uh, and so I hope we, we, we get something from that. Thanks, Matt. That's better. I can hear myself. I'm trying to scream to hear myself. Now I'm going to be too loud, I think. So you might have to readjust it. Let me tell you about, look, our little boy, Theo. So he said something to me which took me by surprise recently in that evening prayer time. He says, Dad, will you teach me how to do the mmm in prayer? Because you do the mmm. I learned it from my old pastor back in in Britain, you know, as a young Christian. So you'd be praying. You hear me say this all the time. You'd be praying, and, you know, you know, some people say amen. Uh, and I may say amen once or twice, but generally I might go, hmm. Yeah, it means I'm hungry. No, no, it means, it means I, I concur. It's a form of amen. And I think Theo was quite intrigued about uh, learning when to do the hmm. Uh, and so I gave him a bit, a bit of tuition. In fact, I was reminded when I was preparing for this, I must go back and do some more. Uh, when to use the mmm. Every time I pray now with you, you're going to be listening for the mmm, aren't you? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there we go. He's already started it. Jesus' disciples did the same with him. They weren't so much interested in the mmm, more more detail, something more nuanced, if you like. They wanted the flesh on how to pray. Nikki read to us in Matthew, it's there, but it's also in Luke too. I'm going to stand here, I need to be away from that. Where do I need to be when I'm not going to get by that every five minutes? Yeah, I don't want that. Look, let me try, I'll try and stay over here. It's in my eyes too. I want to turn to the one in Luke. Uh, it's, it's a similar prayer to the one in Matthew 6. And I want to start there. I'll, I'll put these verses up only because we, we haven't heard them read. Because it gives us a different perspective on what we're going to see in Matthew 6. We're going to come to Matthew 6. But let me just give you Luke 11 as background. Look, here it is. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, obviously this is a collective response to Jesus. He just happens to be the spokesperson for the team here. Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And they've been watching Jesus pray, haven't they? He's the, the prayer of prayers. He's spending hours in prayer, all night in prayer. He'd disappear, they'd wake up in the morning, and Jesus has been away the whole night praying. And it seems natural for them to want to learn from him. I mean, everyone else is doing it. This is what you did, you see. If you were a guru in that time, you, you, you taught your disciples you modelled what was expected of them. And Jesus was modelling prayerfulness. You know, for those of us who hardly pray, you know, I always like to think, if Jesus was in constant prayer and he's God, and he needed to be in constant prayer to, to last the day, if you like, hey, what's that say about us and how much we pray? And so Jesus is modelling, as people did in that time, how the disciples are to be. And so, but the disciples want some detail. Teach us to pray. They want some flesh. 
They're looking to him as the prayer of prayers. They're obviously aware that there are protocols involved. I mean, they were familiar with, with prayer in the Old Testament, but not so much with prayer or someone who's praying for hours and hours endlessly. And so they want some detail. Lord, teach us to pray. And notice Jesus' response. And it'll differ to Matthew 11, which we'll come to. 11 verse 2, he said to them, When you pray, say. Even in English, how does that, and it's captured it fine. What's that suggesting Jesus is about to do? When you pray, so the, the question is, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus' response is, when you pray, say. What would you expect the disciples are to do with whatever comes next? Say it. And I think it's a very important point here. And I'm going to show it differs to Matthew 6, that whatever Jesus is about to say now, he's saying to the disciples, when you pray, this is precisely how you do it. Can you see? And it's important here. When you pray, this is exactly how you do it. You're asking me to teach you to pray? Well, if you really want me to teach you, you pray this. Can you see the point? And so it's really important that we, we, we interact with these words as a very clear instruction for Jesus. That you, want to know, you want to know how to pray? This is how you pray. This is how you say it. Here's what Leon Morris in response to this says. He's, op he's opening... When you pray, say, shows that he intended the prayer to be used just as it stands. Why am I laboring that? Because what, are we, what do we tend to do with Jesus' prayer? Well, I, we hardly ever use it. <laughs> Me included. Okay. Sinner number one. And, and, and it seems somewhat simplistic, insufficient, you know, boring. You know, not relevant to me today. It can't be, can it? I mean, it's this written old liturgical thing that only the Anglicans do that kind of stuff, don't they? And yet Jesus is very clear. This is meant to be prayed. These words are meant to be said. They're not purely a guideline for prayer. They're not purely a pattern for prayer. These are the very words that Jesus instructs us to use when we pray. Now, that doesn't obviously mean it's the only prayer I can ever say for the rest of my life. But it does mean, at the very least, that sometimes, what must I do sometimes? I must say the prayer. We must Say the prayer. I think that's the expectation. When you pray, say. Jesus wasn't laying so much as a pattern here, but he was giving them exactly what they wanted. They asked in the way that Theo asked me, Jesus, Jesus, we have no idea how to pray. What words do I use? Oh, I guess the point is, what makes God happy? What kind of prayer does God listen to? What kind of prayer would, would get God's attention? And Jesus says, you want to really pray? You want to know how to pray? You want to pray the best prayer any human could put together? Here it is. Here it is. I won't read it all because only because we're going to go back to Matthew and it's very, very similar. 
here it is. And so I think the first challenge I want to leave all of us with, and I'll do a test next week, is have you at least on occasions, this is next on, you know, the question, this last week prayed Jesus' prayer. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to show you why it is the best prayer you could ever pray. I'm going to show you why it's the prayer you, be, you should be, we ought to be saying, not just every day of our lives, moment by moment. And we know it's meant to be said every day because what's one of the lines? We, 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 I mean, we know, we ought to know, unless you're a dummy like me, that it's meant to be said at least once a day, every day, for the rest of our lives. We know that because what's in the prayer that suggests it's meant to be prayed every single day by Christians? Yes, thank you. Thanks. Duh. And so who does it? Let me ask. Just put your hand up if you pray Jesus' prayer every day this last week. Okay, I'll give up my job. You can have it. Okay? Brilliant. Thank you. I nearly called you Lorraine. You wouldn't be thanking me then, would you, Tegan? Bless you. Are you I don't know if you're aware of it, if you, but that's a really Christian thing to do, says Jesus. I haven't done that. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I knew I was preaching the sermon. Okay? My excuse is that I pray parts of it. But that's no excuse. That is not an excuse. Okay? I think this prayer, it says Jesus, is meant to be prayed in his wholeness every day of our lives. Can I encourage you to try and get into that habit? Me included. But that's, Matthew, that's Luke. I want to turn to Matthew. Matthew is very different. In the approach to the prayer, in the approach to the prayer. Matthew 6, 9. I'll put this text up because, look, everything hangs off there. You may want to have your Bible. You know, I'm trying to encourage you to follow your Bibles. Um, you, you get, we're going to be in Matthew 6 particularly. You may want to open that. But I want to see the difference here. It's a different occasion. Let me ask you, why is Jesus teaching his disciples the almost same prayer on a different occasion? First of all, what's this occasion? What's Matthew 6? It's the big, the well-known, world-famous sermon on the mount. It's, it's so he's, and how many, how many people do you think he's teaching? So this is less private, it seems. How many people do you think he's teaching? Thousands. If on one occasion he fed 20,000 people, 5,000 people, 5,000 of them were men, they only counted men. If we did that in Living Word Bible Church, <laughs> the attendance record scene would look very depleted. Okay, they only counted men, okay? There's about 20,000 people. So it seems that Jesus typically spoke to crowds of 20K. Boy, incredible, isn't he? Uh, yeah. Without a PA system. Without a PA system, without you, Pete. Yeah, as much as we do think you're great, Jesus managed without you, didn't he? <laughs> sorry, mate, sorry. Yeah, without a PA system, okay? And so he's preaching to probably 20,000 people. It's a different occasion. And Jesus, one of the things that you probably notice in the gospel is that there's a lot of repetition. You ask yourself, why is Jesus always repeating himself? Someone answered the question, why does Jesus repeat his sermons over and over again? Even as you, even as you read the gospels, you're like, he did one of these earlier. Why is he preaching that again? Why did he repeat himself so often? That is certainly one thing we're dumb. It is. It's absolutely dumb. And there's another one. Similar, there's an obvious one. Why did Jesus repeat his sermons over and over again? 
there is that, there is that, that uh, yeah, there's similar. But the obvious one is, he was an itinerant preacher. What does that mean? He preached his sermons in different cities. And he wasn't fair in that city if they didn't get the sermon in that city, is he? So Jesus re-preached his sermon over and over again. And if you're wondering why in the gospel, then this is textual criticism, why sometimes two accounts of the same story sound different. Well, duh! It's a different sermon, a different day. And I preach the same sermon more than once, particularly now I'm working for Prison Fellowship. In fact, don't tell anybody this. It's the same sermon in every church I go to because it relates to my prison work. Okay, but one thing about that sermon, if you follow me on, on those trips and listen to my sermon, the same sermon in every church I go to now, I'm using the same sermon, you would notice what? They're never the same. I can't preach the same sermon twice if, it's, if, it, if my life depended on it. Because I'm obviously don't, I'm not reading my notes, am I? They're there as, as a structure for me to follow. The reason the Bible seems, the Gospels seem to repeat themselves is Jesus is preaching in many different places and the Gospel writers take account of that. But coming back to Matthew 6, notice the difference. In Luke 11, he was, this then is, uh, this then, say this rather, I can't think of the exact words, but notice the difference in Matthew 6, 9. This then is how you should pray. And again, it works just as well in English as in Greek. What do you notice? When you, Luke 11, when you pray, say, okay, if you don't, if you don't know what I've just said, that's black country for however we say it in Australia, okay, but in black country it's say, okay, but in Matthew 6, 9, this then is how you should pray. And can you notice even in English the difference there? The difference between Luke 11, when you pray, say, Matthew 6, this is how. What's the difference? That, that's, that's, that's pretty, ought to be obvious there. What's the difference? It is. It is. Here's what a commentator says. Like... Like this indicates what, follow, what follows is meant to be as a guide, a model, rather than as a set form of the words. This does not mean that the Lord's Prayer may not usually and meaningfully be used exactly as it is enunciated, as we saw in Luke, but it points us to the truth that Jesus is giving us a model that may usefully, usefully sorry, be employed in fashioning other prayers. Jesus says the same prayer to his disciples on two different occasions and he gives us two different ways of using it. The first way he gives us of using it is that it becomes a daily prayer. When you wake up, say it as your first prayer. Before you leave your bed, say it as your first prayer. Give us today our daily bread. In fact, is, is it, wouldn't it be true to say we dare not step out of bed without saying that prayer? I forget which preacher said it. He says... He was talking about his schedule that day. And you know what they were like back in the olden days? They preach a sermon every day, two or three sermons every day, pastors. And he goes, he said something to this effect, I'm so busy today. I've got so many appointments I've got to turn up to. I better make sure I pray. What do we do? when we're, Do you know what I do when I've got a lot of appointments that day? And I'm ashamed to admit it. You know. I leave my, I have, look, I do prayers all along the day, but I leave my big prayer time till later. And what is the danger there? What is the danger there? If you don't get your 
It doesn't happen. Don't get out of bed without saying this. But in Matthew 6, this then is how. So Jesus is going to use the same prayer, and now he's saying, okay, okay, look, baby steps. Here's what you do every day. You get out of bed. Before you get out of bed, look, you start your day with an elementary prayer to get you going. It covers all of the bases brilliantly, which we're going to see over the next few weeks. But as you mature, you want to really grow in prayer? Okay? You want to really wrestle with God? You want to get really behind what I say? I mean, we know, you know, you know, you know it takes me 20,000 words to say one thing because I'm not very good at it. Jesus uses one word to say 20,000 things. His word is that impregnated with truth. Okay? And so he's saying, yes, just say the prayer. And that's okay as a starting point, as the beginning of your day. But if you really want to get to the theology that I've packed in that sermon, in that little prayer, if you really want to know what it is, take the prayer and dismantle it. That's what he's saying to us. If you really want to understand theology and get to the depths of what that prayer contains, if you want to know how much power is in the Word, give us today our daily bread, then deconstruct it into its little components. It's a bit like, look, look, I could give you a car engine. Okay? Right? What is it? Have you seen the car engine? It's this shape. Okay, you're thinking anything could be that shape, Montez. Okay, okay, it's got a few lumps on it. That's it, it looks pretty simple. If you show that to the caveman, he'll think, he'll think it's a rock. He'll think it's a silver rock. But you give it to a mechanic. If you, if you know, do you ever look when they do your car? You give it to a mechanic, okay, because you get engine issues, you come back half an hour later, what will you see? That rock has become. What do you see? What, what, what's there? Millions! That little rock, or thousands, okay, is made up of thousands and thousands of components. Some of them are incredibly small. That's Jesus' prayer. It just looks like just a lump. A few verses, very simple prayer, a daily prayer, we all ought to be doing. But Jesus says in Matthew 6, okay, now this is a discipleship course. We're going to take the rock, and we're going to open it up, and you're going to learn. It's, it's loaded with immense and deep theological truth. And so we're going to spend a bit of time on it over the next few weeks. Let me begin, let me begin. And when I, I don't think I want to go beyond just that first bit. Our heading is this. Our Heavenly Father is to be the direct object of our prayers. There's a lot of confusion about this. Who do we pray to? Is it okay to pray to Jesus? Is it okay to pray to the Holy Spirit? Shall we be praying to God? I, I, if you know anything about my testimony, uh, when I was seeking God as a young teenager, in order not to make God jealous, you know what I did? I used to pray to every God I could think of. Father, Son, Spirit, and every other name of every religion out there that I knew of. Just so I don't make him jealous. And sometimes we can treat prayer like this. If I just pray to Jesus, God will be jealous. Or if I mention the Holy Spirit, maybe Jesus will be jealous. Or if I don't mention the Holy Spirit, maybe the Holy Spirit will be offended. And he won't be here. And I'll be without him in the service. 
And so let's just clear up the mess. You want to know how to pray? You want to know who to pray to? What does Jesus say? You've got the answer. What's all the big fuss? Can you see the point? And look, I think it's com- there is some complexity complexity to it in that. We do pray in Jesus' name, meaning he's, he's, it's, it's all, we pray because all that Jesus stands for. We do pray in the power of the Spirit, don't we? In fact, he enables us to pray, doesn't he? In, in Romans 8, it tells, tells us we, you know, you know, some of us maybe have the ability to speak languages that other people don't understand. And so we're praying with groans, as it were, almost. And so there are those aspects to it, but the fundamental, direct object of prayer is... You've got to answer. The Father. You know, I think if we can take that away today, I've kind of done most of my job, haven't I? There's a bit more to my job. Is... Who do I pray to? Get that be right. We pray to the Father. That doesn't mean we never use Jesus' name or the Holy Spirit. But as a general standard of prayer, it's to the Father. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm try, we'll try and finish a quarter past. That's the time we bill on the on our literature. I'll try and finish quarter past, 20 past of the latest. So I'll see how far I'll go here with this. Because like I said, this is, this, is going to be a, this is going to go for several weeks, a couple of months. So I don't have to finish everything today. But look, I want to start looking at this fatherhood of God as a concept here. We're familiar with it, aren't we? Calling God Father, I've just asked you when you pray to call God Father. I mean, who's, who's taken back by that? Anyone? Anyone surprised by that? No, it seems normal, doesn't it? It's not. It's actually revolutionary. Why do I say that? Why am I saying that? I know he's lost his mind. It's absolutely revolutionary. What I've just asked you to do, what you take simply. I've just asked you to do, what Jesus is asking you to do, something that is unheard of in the world. What am I saying there? What am I getting, getting at? Yes, so that is that, a bit further down the line. That's the application, um, Catherine. But something just far more simple for the context. Why am I saying it's so revolutionary? What's the context? Of the, of the prayer, the country, the environment. What's the context? Yeah, yeah, we know that, but that, you know that. But what is the context that Jesus said that in? And to a Jewish people who knew God as? Oh, sorry, I've got to walk up here. I need to walk, sorry. To a Jewish people who knew God as? A flaming soul. A quenchable fire. Well, what would happen if you, if you went on the mountain when God descended? You'd perish. I think we've got to, we've got to appreciate what a, what a 
fanatic is the wrong word. Revolutionary. I'll go back to the same one. What a revolutionary Jesus was. To say to Jewish people, when you pray, say, Father, is an incredible thing to say. It's an incredible concept. Did you say something? Abba. Abba, yeah, yeah. And in fact, when we say Father, Abba is the word, okay? Father to us, okay? I use Abba in, in Bangladesh too. It's, it's, it's pronounced Abba, okay? Okay, to refer to God as your father. I know some people like to call him daddy. I really don't like that. But if you want to call him daddy, that works. Abba was daddy in that context. Whatever you want to do. Okay, I, I, I prefer father. It's just the year I grew up in. I'm a bit old, aren't I? Okay, uh, call him daddy if you want to. But you have to understand, this is a concept that, that is beyond the experience of Jewish people. The God they knew hadn't revealed himself in that way. And so, a bit, bit, bit of theology. I'll be quick on this. I want to get to my point. Uh, you would have heard of biblical theology, systematic theology, particularly if you've done Bible course. Okay, very, very quickly. Systematic theology, as it sounds, systemizes things. You take something, a subject, a doctrine, a truth, and you, you put it on as, as a standalone thing. You gather all the texts that teach about that truth, and then you, you, you teach on it. That's called systematic theology. Everything you want to know about prayer, you draw every single text on prayer. But the Bible doesn't work like that. The Bible wasn't given to us like that. The Bible was given to us as a book that, that moved forward little by little. And, and, when you, and if you read the Bible like that, as how God revealed himself in Genesis and then Exodus and then Leviticus and then Deuteronomy and then Numbers, did I miss one of those? And so on. You begin to realize that the Bible reveals God... Uh, I forgot, the, I forgot the word, uh, but effectively, gradually, it's the word, progressively, okay? And so the revelation of God that we've received, the one we have, that you and I have of God, is the most comprehensive understanding of who God is, of any generation ever. But by the time the Jews were alive still, in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago, their understanding of God had not got there. I mean, here's some of the ways they understood God. They understood him to be... Uh, a fire. They understood him to be someone that's unapproachable. Isaiah, remember when Isaiah saw him, he was afraid of him. Um, uh, they understood him to be so holy that he couldn't be looked upon. You couldn't see him. If you saw him, what would happen to you? You would die. So can you see the, the image of God they have? Now, it did progress. I mean, it wasn't just that. David speaks of God as a shepherd. So there was some, and this is what I mean about biblical revelation. You've got progression. Okay, he's going from uh, the one you're afraid to go to the mountain when he's near the mountain because you'll die. By David, he's developed to, David can call him his shepherd. So there's, a, there's progress going on. Um, uh, he can, in fact, to, uh, where's the passage? Jeremiah, he even likened himself to a hus husband. Shepherd, husband, and even, as the progression moves on through the Old Testament, friend. Who was a friend of God? Abraham. Okay? But never directly referred to as Father. And so Jesus brings, if you like, the greatest, most revolutionary, the ultimate image of what God is to us. It's the ultimate image. The greatest relationship in the universe that has ever existed is what? And I always say this, 
that we always think the greatest and most intimate relationship is husband and wife. It's not actually the greatest and most intimate and most powerful relationship in the history of the universe is what? Is which relationship? Yeah, from where? Which relationship? This is that, but that's second, before we say parents and son, we say it's the Trinitarian. Thank you, the Trinitarian. What, will I, what is the oldest relationship in the world, in the universe? It's God the Father's relationship to God the Son. It's the oldest, most powerful, the greatest intimate relationship that exists in our universe. It's that relationship between a parent and a child. It trumps every other type of relationship. And we know that because God models it for us. He exists in that relationship. You can't have a better relationship than the one he exists in. And so for, for us then to be told, for Jesus to say, you share with the being that we call God, that intimacy is incredible. Incredible. This then is how you should pray, our Father. And Jesus does it all through the Sermon on the Mount. It, 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 several times, Matthew 5, he refers to him as your heavenly Father uh, when he says be perfect. Matthew 6, when he says all your needs will be met, he, goes, he refers to him there as your heavenly Father. In Matthew 7, when he talks about giving good gifts to children, there he refers to God as your father. And ultimately in Matthew 6 in the prayer, he says, this then is how you should pray. Hey, prayer begins by settling the record straight. It's almost as though God is saying, hey, hey, don't, don't, don't even open your mouth. Let me get this straight. Before you open your mouth, before you say a word, I want you to know who you're dealing with here. Can you see his point? Put everything aside. Just be quiet. I want to establish this, says God. I want to establish what it is we have here. I'm not standing before you when you come to me in prayer as your judge, as a prosecutor, the accuser, or any other thing. You're not approaching a fire. You're not approaching a being that's going to consume you. I want to get this straight, says God. Before you open your mouth, the first thing I want you to know is what you're dealing with here, you are dealing with your dad. The person who, in this world, loves you more than any other being. The one who would give his life for you, and indeed will give his life for you on the cross in just a few chapters. I want you to establish this, says God. You're dealing with, you're talking to, you're coming to, you're opening your heart to, you're opening your life to, your Father. And only when that's established, 
can we say anything more? Because it sets all the parameters. It, it channels everything that follows. It flavors everything. It changes everything. Do you remember when you were a kid? Who did you go to? What do I hear? Constantly. Dad. Or you ladies, mom. It's the very first principle. If we miss that, it changes everything. If you get that, it puts everything right. That's how we pray. The very first thing we clear up is that we're coming to our dad who loves us more than anything in this universe. And so from that point forward, your home, you're sitting on your father's lap, and you're opening your heart to him. Can you see that? That's how we pray. That's how prayer begins.